0: Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family, and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson, and I'm your host, transformational coach, and mom who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals, and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling, and full? of joy. So in the next coming weeks, I have decided to launch a coronavirus series in which I'll be bringing on amazing guests to talk about these uncertain times and how, even in uncertainty, there can be an amazing opportunity for us to thrive. Now, that may sound weird, especially if you're seeing markets tumble, especially if you've got people around you that are suffering because of the the virus, Uh, and maybe even if because you are scared of your business coming to halt, whatever it is, the fears that you have and the panic that you may be feeling, then this series is going to really help with that. I felt really compelled to bring this into uh, my awareness, but also into the awareness of you, the listener. So with that in mind, I'm super excited to be launching this series and for us to create a different conversation to the one that's being had in the media not to say that this isn't important not to say that we're not entering into difficult times but to say that there is and there are other ways of viewing it other than the panic and the fear that's being brought to the table so if you are feeling that and you know you're you are being affected by the coronavirus through your business through your finances through your health then these are going to be incredible conversations to be Tuning into, and if you know of anybody in that situation, then please, please, please do share the episodes with them. Enjoy. And on today's show, I have the beautiful Colette Wiley. Colette is a coach who helps and supports people to calm down, see clearly, and access their inner resourcefulness. And the reason why I actually reached out to her was because I saw a post on Facebook that she made about how she inclusively parents with her kids and it really resonated for me. So I thought I'd get a little bit more curious and find out a little bit more about how inclusive parenting has been working for her and what are the benefits and what she's seen as the drawbacks too but ultimately what's come out of it as a result. We talked about why inclusive parenting, we talked about the benefits of inclusive parenting, we talked about what inclusive parenting actually even is and we also talked about how to navigate the different stages of uh, little children to teenagers and how this way of being can actually be beneficial to all ages so if you are struggling with your parenting and you are coming up against lots of Resistance. Then this may well be a great way um, to resolve all of that. Enjoy. So welcome everybody. And on today's show, I have Colette Riley. Uh, interestingly enough, Colette and I connected years back, like about five years back. I looked at my messenger. I was like, oh, I actually know her. But actually, what drew me to her was a comment that she made in a Facebook group around, you know, inclusive parenting. And it was something that really resonated for me and something that I wanted to explore more um, for those of you that, that maybe, just maybe, this might resonate for you too that you're looking for a different way of doing things because the way that you're doing things right now isn't working. So, welcome, Colette.
1: Hello, lovely to have. Well, lovely for you <laughs> to have me.
0: <laughs> it's lovely for me to have you too. So, <laughs> I'm glad that we're being inclusive around that too. Um, so, Colette, I, I'd love you to. To share a little bit about what your philosophy is around this inclusive parenting and how it's really helped you um, navigate this this I guess experience of motherhood and um, I mean obviously now your kids are grown um, but in the time of of lockdown you know what's been really working
1: for you um, and how how do you see it? Lots of things in that. Um, so for me. <clears throat> The core of my parenting approach is that parents are people too and kids are people too. We're all human together. We're in different ages and stages of our own development. Just because we're a parent does not mean that we know everything. I think it's really important for me to own that and to model that for my kids, that I make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when I do, I face up to them and try my best to move on, much like that's exactly what I want them to do. Because we're all just experiencing life. So we will offend somebody, we will do something that could have been better. And when we create the space to own that and reflect on that, then for me, that optimises our chance of growth, which again, that's what parenting is all about. I think. It's not about creating rules and and making our kids turn into something that we want them to be. It's creating an environment that they can turn into who they're born to be.
0: I love that. That's so beautiful and that's so beautifully put. Um, Because it is such a dance, isn't it? It's such a dance between guiding and um, imposing. Um, It's subtle, but it's profound. So, what have you seen? Um, what have you seen as a result? Because I mean, I guess you've been doing this since your kids were really, really young, and where they're now is 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 you know maybe ten or eleven years on. So I'm curious about um, how you've seen that approach really work, um, and where you found also that it might, <laughs> yeah, like how has it worked out? with using this approach that you have which is inclusive
1: so for me um, I regularly check in with my kids um, asking them what's working well what could be better how am I showing up as your mum Um, what do you like about how I'm showing up how would you like me to change creating a space to hear that and sometimes that's really uncomfortable (laughs) and sometimes it's really funny as well you know, if I expect them to put on their brave pants and ask for what they want in the world, because so often, I don't know about you, but um, it's a very British way of being brought up that it's rude to ask, you know, if I want doesn't get when actually I want does get. It's just we need to ask nicely and be mindful about the consequences of what we're asking for. So for me... I want to encourage that behaviour. So if they want something of me, I want to create a safe space for that to happen, for them to ask for that. And equally, for it to be safe for me to say, guys, I need this from you. So we're going to work together as a team. So rather than it be me kind of saying, you must do this and come on, change. and expect particular behaviors. It's a kind of teamwork makes a dream work approach. Mm. So how does that work? We've got quite a chilled-out family, and it's it's really difficult to say because you can't go back in time, you can't split test this <laughs> to say, well, if I parented in a different way, then potentially they might have, you know, evolved into different humans or behave in different ways. It is what it is. Um we are very close um, and that doesn't mean to say that I know everything about them. I know a lot about them. Um, we absolutely have our run-ins because we all do. We all get caught in a thought storm sometimes, but we acknowledge that and we move on from it. So again, it's back to what I said earlier on about when we all mess up and we offend each other or you know we're grumpy. Let's apologise, own that and move on.
0: Yeah, it's been really interesting. Leo and I now have these characters. Um, he has somebody called Crazy Boy and I've got somebody called Crazy Mom that shows up. Yeah. And I will not speak to Crazy Boy. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm walking away from this conversation until Crazy Boy calms down and I have my Leo back. So he does his deep breathing and, uh, and, and we start the conversation again and then he'll go, and then he'll get all riled up again and said, no, you're not ready yet. I need O back. So now, now we can have a conversation. And he'll point it out to me too, actually. Um,
1: he'll be like, crazy mom's back. <laughs> and that's wonderful. Yeah. Because sometimes we need something outside of us. Yeah. That state and just, oh, right, OK, I'm caught in it yeah so we're caught in it we can't see it It seems so real (laughs) i
0: know i know um and sometimes we both get caught in it and we don't have the space to kind of talk about that but then there is always the coming back to i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that or i'm sorry i didn't mean it um so so i'm curious actually i'm curious about how it works has it changed? Obviously, you know, if you've got a three or four year old to to having a teenager, I'm sure I'm assuming that would have changed over time. So, what have you seen in that?
1: So, with um, I would say adolescence tends to start around eight, and again, <laughs> you know, every child is different, so it can be a wee bit younger and it can be a wee bit older, um, but it's around that that they start to go on the turn <laughs> and the. Um, they kind of move away from being that that loving and open to and, and quite receptive, because nature is telling them to kind of start moving away and getting ready for you know becoming their independent self. So it's been around that time that all three of mine started um, kind of rejecting um, my approach. And being being more, um, yeah, whatever, (laughs) mum. And to begin with, I was really offended and hurt by that. Luckily enough for me, very fortunately, in hindsight, at the time it was tough. There's quite a big age gap between my firstborn. There's five years between my firstborn and secondborn. Bless my eldest. He's been a little experimental child, so... (laughs) We went through the teenage years not really kind of understanding what was going on. And that that was challenging. And I wish now that I knew how adolescence would impact how he felt about himself and, and his behaviour and, and, you know, all the different things that go along with that. That was very, very tough. And I spent a lot of time you know, stuck in a thought storm thinking there was something wrong. Because we didn't have the engagement that we used to have in the younger years, but again, reflection is a beautiful thing, and we've built that into our family. I've built that into my way of being. Again, it's a what worked well, what didn't. Um, so over the years, I have noticed. How I've shown up and how triggered I can become with certain behaviours in my kids, and luckily enough, I'm no longer as triggered by that. Mm. Purely from awareness with my younger two now, and they are kind of coming into that. They are twelve and thirteen just now, mm-hmm. um, so it does change their um, willingness to engage in a conversation isn't as great now as it was then. Um, I've had to be a lot more creative around creating that space and encouraging them to, again, reflect and own where they're coming from and their willingness to share that with me. And also, crucially, this has been really tough for me My acceptance that sometimes I'm not the person that they're going to share things with. So it's no longer when they were younger, the whole, you know, family audit, let's talk and connect and find out what's working. That happened together, collectively. But now I've really got to own their reflection and their learning comes in their own time. And if they need somebody else to bounce things off of, then that's fine. The main thing is that they get that reflection and learning. Not that I'm aware of it and I know it and it's, you know, that's my stuff.
0: So when you said get creative, what does that mean?
1: Cuddling up with them. So whereas years ago, when they were little, we could play. We could have conversations while we would be in the park and these or, you know, driving in the car. Um, and these were the guaranteed ways of opening the kids up. Two? Say that again.
0: Give me me an example of of, of what
1: that means. Um, So what that means now, um, as they are as a teenager, um, I go to them. Um, So my son, for example, he is a kind of nighttime person. <laughs> um, so we talk about a variety of different things. And when, I'm, when there's something that we're needing that I feel that we would we, we benefit from talking about, um, it's just creating that environment that, that works for him. So that means creating or becoming aware of what puts him in a good mood. And that often is not me or his dad. Because I'm the cheesy mum, you know, you don't want to hang about with your mum. Um So it's catching him when he's back in from being out with his friends. So and because he's in that beautiful kind of connected state anyway, so I kind of you know catch the back end of that so how are you and he's he tends to be more open to conversation yeah whereas if i go into his room wanting to talk i'm trying to create that openness myself that wouldn't work as well
0: that's really powerful um because it really is just picking the moments when you see that they are open to have that conversation. And I guess it makes sense, you know, it's a bit like you can't will someone to have a conversation even as a grown-up. Absolutely. Um, and we've also got to pick our moments as well. Like they're not it's not the best moment to have a conversation with somebody that's closed down and not really in the moment or in their, you know, in their true essence. So it would make sense that this would be exactly the same. Um And
1: so often as parents, we think that we have got to control the situation. Now, this is my agenda and we need to speak about this and we need to address this. And we lose sight of the fact that it's just a human. It's a human in front of us with exactly the same needs and wants as we do. And we as adults hate it when somebody comes to us. (laughs) We have got to speak about this now. and make this very serious, we hate that. So why in the world are we doing that to our children? Mm. I love this.
0: I saw this the other day where there is no difference between a child and a grown-up, just at different developmental stages. And even as grown-ups, we can be like kids, right? So um, (laughs) um, there really is no difference. And they they can be really wise. Like I listen to Leo sometimes and I'm like, wow, that's really wise, Leo. Like that's super wise. Yeah. Take that on. Um, But I love this idea or this sense of I don't know better and what's possible from that place. Yeah. Can you share a story? Like do you have a specific story that comes to mind when – When I asked that question, like is there, um, like when you went, I don't
1: know better, like. I, the story that comes up isn't around that, but it was a lesson that taught me that. And it was a number of years ago when one of my kids had started um, primary school. And my youngest was in the nursery next door. And as any good paranoid parent does, they're peeking into the, into the playground, seeing how she is. And I see her standing alone in the playground with all of her friends, all of the other primary ones playing around her, and she's not joining in. And straight away, I had that moment of, oh, there's something wrong. And I went to the dark place of what's happened, my little baby, and I brought up my own stories. Because if you found me standing alone in the playground, that would have been because I wasn't joining in. And if I wasn't joining in, it wouldn't have been through my lack of want, it would have been because I was excluded in some way. So these are the stories that I had in my head. So I went to the dark place, as I said, and had a conversation. Um, with my daughter afterwards and like you're saying for Leo um, being so wise she'd said mum they all wanted to run about and play and I didn't so I didn't join in Right. and for me through that conversation I learned about her that she has got this deep sense of self Of confidence in who she is and if she doesn't want to join in with something that she doesn't want to join in with she won't. Clear as simple as that. Um, And that really highlighted for me the amount of baggage that as a parent I bring to the table because in that moment, I was looking through eyes of my eight-year-old self, rather than this apparently wise parent. Um, at that moment in time, it was that little person who was "I'm absolutely fine." So we had a conversation about what I've seen, and she said, "Oh, Mum, that's that's a wee shame." Um, And it was a lovely kind of connecting moment where she knew fine well that, you know, I'm just a person.
0: Mm.
1: Not this, not all mum.
0: I love that. I have a question that's popped up into my awareness right now. And have you had your kids ever lie to you? Oh yes. (laughs)
1: Like, yeah, well, we have a I game now um, where they, they fess up to the lies that they've told, which is really funny because it's easy to own something when it's retrospective, <laughs> okay. so um, it can be really tough in that moment um, for them to own up to things, so they lie blatantly lie <laughs> and um, and sometimes I've been aware of the lie and I'm right. Like, okay how do we work through this so you can accept that and actually admit to it and sometimes I've not been aware of it and then it will come up a couple of years on when they're like yeah that was a lie yeah there's been loads of lies loads of lies I think that's a human thing It's a self-preservation thing. In this moment, for whatever reason, it doesn't feel safe for me to tell the truth because of something that I have, whether it's the truth or reality or otherwise. um, So it's safer for me to make up a story about what did happen that's more acceptable. That's natural. It doesn't make it acceptable, but it is natural.
0: I remember um, a moment where Leo, he's only five and he's had, you know, um, not an issue, but he's had some stuff go on around when he feels insecure, he's lashed out and he's basically either bitten a kid or, you know, hit a kid or whatever. And I remember... He mentioned something about not being able to go out to play at school, and I got curious about that. And I said, Well, why not? And he goes, Well, I was on timeout. And I said, What happened? And he goes, Oh, nothing. And in that moment, I was like, Something happened. What happened? And he's like, I don't want to tell you. And I said, Well, I'm not going to get angry. Just want to know. So, anyway, he told me that he'd bitten another kid on the cheek. And I realized actually I was more like there was a sense of like, oh wow, I, I, I'm that's amazing that that we that he could confess that to me. Mm-hmm. Like there was that space and I realized actually it's more important for me to know that Leah can come to me with something like that and know that he has the safe space to share that with me, that he can share that and know that I won't get angry. Um or if I do that it that it it's just not anything about that. It's just me kind of getting into my own insecurity in that moment that that there is a obviously a conversation to be had about it. Um because I remember like not wanting to share things with my parents because I was so scared of the consequences of that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And um there's a, a really interesting see a psychiatrist, something like that, Dan Siegel. But he talks of the four essays of attachment. And attachment are basically the, the communication strategies that we create as little people to stay alive. And because obviously as little people, we are born into this world helpless. We're, you know, a mammal it takes a long time to develop and become independent. And those four F's are ensuring that we feel soothed. Mm. So when we're in a heightened state, whether that's real excitement or, you know, the depths of sadness or anything in between, that we have got at least one person who can soothe us, that we can go to and can, you know, can hear us and see us. Next one is feeling seen. And Dan talks about mind sight. That's really seeing the essence of you not your behaviour but who you really are and feeling safe so safe is being safe from any form of harm whether that's physically sexually emotionally and all of that needs to show up consistently so that's the fourth one security so we need to have the security that our person most often one of the parents shows up in a regular way that they soothe us they ensure our safety and they actually see the essence of us so for me there's something around creating that circle of safety so that we can actually see our children not the behavior because it's so easy Mm -hmm. to get really angry about that and obviously Biting somebody in the cheek is unacceptable for a variety of different reasons. However, the fact that you created that safe environment, that you can see him and he knows that he's seen, for, for him to be able to share that kind of stuff, that's really, really, really important. And there are so many parents throughout the world who aren't aware of, that's a fundamental human need for us to feel seen and safe and soothed and for our core people to show up in that consistently.
0: Because, I mean, I know, like, if I've done something and I know that somebody else might judge it or get pissed off or angry, I'm less likely to want to share that with them. Absolutely. Because an understanding of, actually, I just want to understand. just want to understand what was going on for you in that moment versus... It being just yes, judge or criticize the behavior, let's have an opinion about it, um, I'll be more likely to, to want to open up to that
1: person. Absolutely. And the beautiful thing is, behavior is just a physical manifestation of all of that glorious stuff that's going on inside. Hmm. So if we spend as much time getting curious and creating that circle of safety for people to feel safe to open up and share all the wonderful stuff that's going in and the not so wonderful stuff that's going on inside of them that's connected to their behaviour, that behaviour is more likely to change. But if we create a parenting style that's very chastising and judging and and focused on how they are showing up behaviourally, personally, I don't think that's a very effective way of doing things. And then kids grow up. Into adults, with you know, they don't have a strong sense of self. They don't feel able to ask for what they want and to share what they need because, as a child, they never experience that. So, what's
0: your take on
1: on discipline? Like,
0: I mean, I don't. I've I've come back, you know, I've, I've flipped with this. Is like, do this, and then you get that don't do that, then you'll have that taken away from you. Between that and connection and just wanting to understand and then putting firm boundaries in place. What's your take on that?
1: For me, as you just said it, of connection and boundaries. Um, and boundaries are really important to understand. So when we talk about discipline, often... The, Often people come at it from that behavioural point of view, what's acceptable, what's not. But do any of us understand why that behaviour is acceptable and why that behaviour isn't? Those are the conversations I'm interested in. And those are the conversations that I've had numerous times over the years um, with the kids. I'm not interested in them following a rule just for the sake of following a rule I want them to get curious and understand why that rule is in place in the first place how does that serve them how does that serve other people that makes a lot of sense
0: and it's more motivational because once there's understanding they can make sense of that and it makes more sense for actually them to be sitting in that behaviour all the time Or less
1: of the time, and it's absolutely okay. Just you know, I'm a big believer. The easiest way to get what we want is to ask, and it's really important to be become aware of our boundaries from those four S's. You know, where do I? Where is my safe circle? Where Where does it start, and where does it end? And it's okay for me to say that infringes on my sense of safety. Therefore, that's totally not okay. And it's okay to demand that. It's okay to express that. It's okay to have conversations around that. But it's understanding that's the main thing. So <clears throat> I'm a strict parent. For those for those outside, I do seem very laid back, and I am very laid back. All my friends... When we had like play dates and things like that, we were the kids would come and they would think they could get away with anything in our house because I am a very welcoming come on into the house, that's great. You know, everything just you know play away, but I do have strict expectations. As in I suppose the best way to to sum it up is leading with love. My home is your home, and It doesn't matter if you're five or 15 or 25, but come on and treat everybody and everything with respect. You can do whatever the heck you want. So we had a playroom. We recently moved last year, so it was an old house. And the kids loved it. And when they were old, all the kids would come over and they would cause absolute carnage, which they loved. Because anarchy isn't something that really encouraged in many people's houses. I was absolutely fine with it. However, you're going to tidy up your own mess. (laughs) You create that anarchy. But that's, that's not on me. That is absolutely not on me to tidy that up. So that's kind of, where I'm coming from with the strictness, it's the understanding of those boundaries. So, yes, your job is to play, your job is to experiment and explore this world, and with that, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. So, over time, they learn that oh, that was really good fun to create that mess, but it's not so much fun to tidy it up and it's even less fun to have to get all my friends to tidy up with me because that's the rule of the house if you create the mess you tidy it up so over time the mess became less and less and we understand that's why we've got the rule it's not that making a mess is a bad thing at all
0: Right, sure sure, sure, sure but they have to Yeah, I mean I... I've made a massive allowance at the moment because of coronavirus downstairs in the the living room. (laughs) Right. Things things have to be put away to a certain extent, but not everything. Um, But I'm now very keen on Leo doing the same thing really is you know, play, leave a mess, but you've got to pick yourself up afterwards. That's really important. It's just a sense of self-responsibility, I guess, Um, and
1: giving them responsibility to a certain extent. Um, and it's understanding how we work well together as a family, yeah. and what I need, and what you need, and what we need, Maybe be different. Yeah, and me standing on Lego pieces doesn't make me a very present parent, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely what works, what doesn't work, and I think that that's really that's really um, useful what's working for them, what's not working for them, what's working for you, what's not working for you, and then come to some sort of middle ground and and create a new, something that can work for everybody. But uh, do you actually ever find that it works for everybody? Because I'm assuming that 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 maybe there's always like a, well, that doesn't really work for me, but I'll do it anyway. Or is there is there anything around that? Or do you ever, do you usually come to some sort of um, agreement? Um,
1: there is, there's always a, uh that's the beauty of compromise. That yeah. there's, <laughs> It's not, and it's really important that it's not 100% me getting my own way. Sure. And because that's important, it's important that my daughter doesn't get in 100% her way and my son, etc. So we're, that's the joy of meeting in the middle. And meeting in the middle involves a little bit of grieving. <laughs> And a little bit of letting go of that, hmm, I really, really want that thing. Um, so, yeah, of course, we hump and grump. Hump and grump. Absolutely. There's not a then, you know. We have conversations, we compromise. We see right. okay, let's give this a go. And then we'll review and reflect it. So how did that work? That works better. Brilliant. So, for example, back to kind of discipline and all that kind of thing. So we've got a chore chart and it's not really a chore chart. It's a whiteboard in the kitchen. And um, so I write down all the things that need done. And um, this has worked in a variety of different ways over the years. So it used to be that I would allocate, like, Callum, you've got to do this. Carrie, you've got to do that. Carrie, you've got to do that. And, you know, allocate chores. And then over a number of months, they got a little bit kind of fed up with the jobs that they were doing. Um, Callum had, for example, his exams on, so he didn't have a lot of time. So, you know, life changes. Um, And now we've got a board where I just write all the jobs up and we just score them off as we go because I think everybody likes a bit of a... Tick in the box thing that the fun of wiping it off, um, and they get praise and rewards for doing as many jobs as they can. And right now, that works. And when I haven't put the things up in a whiteboard, not a lot happens because they're quite anchored to this visual of you know it doesn't if it's not written in the board it doesn't need done. So through conversations. It would be my preference to not have to write everything up on the board. So my 100% is, you guys are old enough now. You know what needs done. Just do it. But they really like having the instructions on the board and that joy of um, scrubbing it off. So that's what we do right now, which is a bit of a compromise. And it might not work in a couple of months right Right now. It is. So it's not about setting something in stone. It's just doing what works. Brainstorm, come up with something, play with it. Great. Did it work well? Keep doing it. If it doesn't work, it's not that it doesn't work. That system doesn't work. It's just that we are fed up with it.
0: Yeah, and and what what works for one time doesn't necessarily work for another. You can't expect um, a seven-year-old to be in nappies anymore. Like, there's just developmentally things shift and change all of the time um and we've got to be so present to that actually haven't we it's a bit like yeah what will made sense one moment doesn't make sense anymore because they've just changed well this has been really really lovely Colette and I'm really glad we did this because I'm what I'm hearing is is that you know if anybody that's listening in today that you know for whatever reason it hasn't been working or you'd like sort of a more inclusive approach then this this has been a really great um conversation for that so if somebody wants to get in contact with you how can they do that
1: they can check out my website self-titled com. connect with me on facebook um business page be work life happy just send me a message. Cool. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It
0: was beautiful to connect with you today and I look forward to doing so in the future. Bye for now. And there we have it, another beautiful episode of The Joy of Being. Now, if you got something from this and you know somebody that could really, really do with a boost of positivity and joy, then please do share the episode with them. It's amazing the ripple effect that these episodes can have on others. Failing that, if you'd like to join a different conversation around what's going on in in these uncertain times, then please do join the Facebook group, The Breathing Space for Hardworking Mummers. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash the breathing space for mums in business.